Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Monday. It is December 11th. We're going to talk about the Marquette Golden Eagles dominating win over the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. We'll give some grades out. We're also going to talk about the curious case of Jair Alexander, then talk best bets for the Packers against the New York Giants. We'll get into that, and as well as the Packer playoff hunt. What does it look like after Sunday's games? There were some good things about it. There were some bad things about it. We'll talk about it all. And then lastly, we'll talk about the Bucs and their week ahead and look ahead to what the Milwaukee Bucks have on deck now that the in-season tournament is over. We'll discuss that all. But before we get going, social media, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok and Facebook as well. Uh, shout out to my guy, Tommy, who's like, I love your reviews, man. He was in the review, uh, the Marquette review. He's like, can I get into it? I was like, absolutely. Like, we will always welcome guest appearances on the review. I'm never gonna say no if someone wants to appear in the review. Uh, so yes, I, I'm definitely always there for that. Appreciate all the love and support uh, that I get from my Marquette faithful. I uh, appreciate you guys a lot. And then uh, make sure to subscribe to the pod, whether it's Apple, whether it's Spotify, or really wherever else you get your podcasts, we are there and available for you. So make sure that you are checking us out. Uh, we do this thing four days a week, uh, three solo usually, and then one with Mitch. This week, we're going to have my buddy Shay Ken on, uh, our favorite DJ. He's going to appear sometime this week. I have not texted him uh, four times, but I will, will. him and I will give you that date on Monday. Uh, so you have it. Uh, we'll talk to him about all things Wisconsin sports. We're going to check in also about the Christmas crawl that's coming up on Saturday. Uh, it should be a busy day again in the city of Milwaukee on Saturday. With that, uh, you also have Bucks Pistons. I'm sure you have other shit going on. So it'll be it'll be quite the day. Uh, weather looks actually really good uh, for next Saturday as well. So let's talk about this last Saturday and the Marquette Golden Eagles. The Marquette Golden Eagles were facing Notre Dame, and which is a classic rivalry. They've met 120 times. I don't know if there's been a game where Marquette was more dominant than they were in this one. Micah Shrewsbury, after the game, was asked about the turnovers that his team had, uh, Notre Dame's head coach, for those unfamiliar, and Micah said, have you ever fought against the Bear? And, and that was how he described Marquette's team defense. I was worried that Marquette might play with their food a little bit, might kind of let Notre Dame hang around, but they absolutely did not do that. Marquette opened up the game up 17 to nothing. Notre Dame had not scored a basket until I believe it was like the 12 minute mark of the game. Uh, Notre Dame had four shot clock violations in the first 10 minutes of this basketball game. It was an absolutely dominating performance, and and it can, that word can get overused. I think the most incredible thing about the game is it kind of met the expectations of everybody. Everybody was out drinking, having a great time. This was a true winner event. It was the Marquette holiday party, and everybody was getting after it. And I think that it was so special that Marquette followed up and said, we know you're here for the show and we're going to give you it. And they gave it to you from the start and they didn't really let up. There was never really a relention. They never, they never sort of let Notre Dame even breathe in this game. And so I, I think that part of it that I was just blown away by was just how dominant they were. They treated Notre Dame, and I know I've said that like three times now in the first 
three minutes of this open. But it, they treated Notre Dame like they were Mississippi Valley State, who's like one of the worst teams in D1 basketball. That's what they treated Notre Dame like. And it was just incredible to watch. I was so happy that I was in the building for it because it was just foot on the throat the entire game. And there was never a moment where you're like, all right, Notre Dame kind of has brought themselves back into it, right? Basketball's a game of run and the law of large averages. I mean, at some point, Notre Dame's gonna go on a run. At some point, Notre Dame's going to be awesome. And instead, that wasn't the case at all. Uh, instead, they they were basically a non-factor for the entire basketball game. And it's to see what they did against both Texas and Notre Dame this week, Texas obviously being better than Notre Dame overall, I think it's a true wake up. The, the Wisconsin game was a true wake up call for them. I think the Wisconsin game could end up being the best thing that happened to Marquette this season because it seems like Marquette is sort of hell bent on let, not letting that happen again. Now, is Marquette going to lose again this year? Probably. It's college basketball. Like, you can't, you can't be perfect the entire thing. You might be able to come on scale with only two losses for the entire year, but I find that I, I'm highly doubtful of that, even though I don't think the Big East is as good as I thought it was at the start of the year, but I still think the Big East is gonna be a solid conference. Like there's no way that that's probably going to happen, but it's clear at this very moment that the Wisconsin game was kind of like, all right, wake the fuck up. You gotta come to the gym every time. You have to make sure that you are ready to play basketball every time that you step foot on the court, whether you're at home, whether you're on the road. And the, to do that with a large sellout crowd, a energetic sellout crowd who had been drinking for God knows how long, it, it's just a real, It's it makes you so happy as a fan. It's it's hard to kind of describe unless you were there, unless you 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 know are a fan of the team. But it's like I, I think that's something. It's an underrated thing in sports when your team goes out there and just absolutely annihilates their opponent, and basically the payoff is as good as it could be. Everybody was drunk in that place. Everybody went out after in some capacity. Most people were probably hung over today. Like it was a absolute celebration and Marquette paid it off with a massive victory and finished out their non-con besides St. Thomas pretty damn well. We'll see how they do against St. Thomas. It should be on easy street, but it's exams week, I believe. I don't know. It's always hard. Those are, this time of year is always a little bit difficult as you're getting closer to the Big East season. So hopefully for the Golden Eagles, they have no problems with St. Thomas. We'll obviously talk about the game on Friday's show, but it's, uh, it's, it's a great time to be a Golden Eagle, man. And if you are listening and you're a Packer fan or you're a Bucks fan and you're not, you're not really listening for college basketball content and you're not a Wisconsin fan, jump on the bandwagon, man. I, I, this is probably the best Marquette team that we'll ever see. I, I don't know if we'll see one that is this special. And like, you just have to embrace every game. You have to watch every game. You have to, you know, not miss a moment. And that's why, you know, I'm doing more podcast stuff about it. A, the support's amazing. I, I think I've said that before that the Marquette community is is wonderful. And I, it, <laughs> I, I won't get into something. I was gonna take a shot at something, but I, I'm not gonna do it. I'll reserve that maybe when I have had a few beers and doing this podcast later in the, the winter. But 
it's it's a wonderful community, man. And I think they've been so open and they support me and and I really appreciate all of them. So, you know, I, I think that you if you don't have a basketball team, Marquette's your team. You will enjoy yourself. You will have fun. They win a lot. And it's a fun brand of basketball. So uh, that's that's what I can sell it to you. And maybe more checked out because it was a Fox primetime game. And as the beat reporter for the, I think, South Bender Tr- Tribune, Tom Norrie wrote, uh, not now, not ever, not this year are Notre, is Notre Dame ready for primetime. Uh, Marquette laid down the hammer. But Marquette's good for business, man. They do ratings on Fox. And so I'll be curious to see how much more Fox and primetime attention Marquette gets. Because I, I think, I know that their schedule is kind of set as of now, but it would not surprise me if as the year goes on, there's more sort of big time Marquette games that are out there. We'll, we'll have to see. All right, let's get into the grades. Uh, we waited long enough. Uh, I do this after every game, uh, give grades from A to F. Uh, we're going to have some fun with this one. I have a couple of fun fun kind of topics that are intertwined into this. And so we'll we'll discuss it all. Uh, the first A is the Tyler Kolick. Tyler Kolick with another fantastic game, 17-7-7. Seven, seven, seven. It was quiet in a weird way. It was the quietest 17-7-7 seven, seven, seven you'll ever see in your life. Uh, yet again, another game where Tyler Kolick probably has a triple-double if he played his full allotment of minutes. Uh, he was just in complete control from the get-go and was just finding, you know, pockets of the defense whenever he could. And whether it was, you know, getting down on, on the boards or finding the open man or making the shots that he did, Tyler was awesome. And it's been a joy to watch TK. And I had one of the guys I, I went to the game in with was like, I'm naming my first kid Tyler. Doesn't matter the gender. It's a gender neutral name. We're naming the kid Tyler uh, just for all the things that he's done for my life, which I absolutely love. And I, I think he's on that status and he's he's just playing great basketball right now. And so whatever sort of quote unquote funk he was in, and I don't even really think it was a funk. I, I just think that the way Kansas defended him, the way UCLA defended him, even the Wisconsin game was, was rough for him a little bit. And I, I think that he's been able to kind of adjust and get off the mat himself. And that's been really encouraging to see. And it's definitely, he's definitely going into the Big East season with a ton of momentum for, you know, the following year or for the, the kind of the next part of the year, I should say, not the following year, obviously, because he'll, he'll be going, long gone. He will not be a, uh, a Marquette Golden Eagle. He'll, probably, he'll be headed for the draft. But so that's why you got to watch everything. As, as I said, like, you got to cherish this. And Tyler was terrific in this game and look forward to more big time TK moments throughout this winter. Another A was to the crowd. I, I kind of mentioned it, but man, it was just juiced. I, there were, it was pretty much full at the start of the game. Like you'd think for an 8 p.m. crowd like that there, it might be a late arriving crowd, right? People are getting one last drink. They're, you know, they're closing out their tabs, the whole thing, no. Everybody was in the fucking building at the 8 p.m. start time. And it was loud from the start. Uh, Notre Dame admitted that they really had trouble with the environment, that I had never played in an environment like that. And Marquette has made themselves a fortress in college basketball. We saw it last year, uh, really kind of on the stretch run. Like Creighton was the first game where you really started to see the fans come back. Uh, famously, if you remember that, it was a Friday night, right around this time, and they did not have enough 
they did not have enough like support workers. Like Pfizer screwed it up. There was limited beer lines, the whole thing. And that was the first time we we're like, oh man, like the fan base is kind of back. And then as the year went on, it became impossible to find tickets. And I think every game is going to be close to a damn near sellout. So if you are a Marquette fan and you don't have tickets for, it might be a good idea to go to St. Thomas on Thursday night, which is not a bad time to go to a game, right? Seven o'clock on a Thursday gives the excuse to start your weekend a little early, right? If you want to. Uh, but yeah, the crowd was absolutely juiced up. 8 p.m. Saturday starts, huge fan of those. Um, I so It's a touch late, right? Because it's like you're kind of waiting all day. But man, if you give uh, a team that is very talented, you give that that fan base uh, a lot of time to drink, they're gonna they're gonna pay it off. It was just so fun, man. It was just it was such a fun night. And yes, I'm sure Marquette, you know, blowing out Notre Dame had a lot to do with that. But I think even if this was a tight game, even if this was, you know, a 10 point victory and Marquette kind of had it in hand throughout, like I still think you'd talk about how 8 p.m. Saturday starts are are pretty good. Uh, I don't know how, if that's something Marquette can do regularly, right? Um, I think that they would probably prefer during the day or, you know, when, I don't really actually know. It'd be an interesting thing to talk to them about like scheduling wise, like what's the optimal time? But I think there is a case to be made that you could do a holiday 8 p.m. start really every year and, and you're gonna get a big crowd for it. And like I said, it's a market holiday party. Would they have sold out if it was not Notre Dame? Like if it was a, if it was Texas, like if it was flipped, right? If Texas was playing on, on Saturday night and Marquette was playing Notre Dame on Wednesday, I, I still think you get a big crowd for Texas. I don't know if you sell it out, uh, but the Notre Dame factors, you dab a lot of people in Notre Dame gear at the game that drove up for it, uh, which man, that talk about a waste. <laughs> it's still a fun night, but man, <laughs> that that can't be fun uh, at all. Uh, going back to the game itself, A to Oso Iguodara, great bounce back for Oso. Kind of talked about after the Texas game, he had sort of been struggling a little bit, not necessarily you know living up, quote unquote, to the Maui hype, uh, but this was the Oso that we saw in Maui. 20 points for him in this game. He was you know all over Notre Dame early in this basketball game. He shot a three, which was incredible. Uh, in his own right, six to eight from the floor. He had five rebounds. Uh, the biggest headline, though, from Oso Iguodara's night is he was eight of eight from the free throw line. Now, Oso Iguodara is, I don't know what he is shooting free throws this year, but in the past, he had been near 50%, but kind of had the Giannis thing where he would make all his clutch free throws. But so, yeah, Ose, for this year, he's 58%. Last year was 54%. But the fact that now he was eight of eight in a basketball game is a major development. Now, it could be just one game, right? Like, you, he could have just gotten a rhythm with his free throw stroke, and this is just a one-game sample. But if this is some more to come, if there is a, a chance that this is actually something that Oso Iguodara is developing into a 70% free throw shooter, Marquette becomes, like, a notch better. It's like Tyler Kolick having the three-point shot be more part of his repertoire uh, than it was in, in years past. Like it just makes Marquette that much better because if you have also making, you know, an extra, what, three or four free throws a game, that could be the difference in winning a game. That could be a difference between a uh, close game versus, you know, a game that you have in hand, right? Like, I, I just think that's a really sort of big thing 
for Marquette going forward if this is you know not just a one-time sample because it could just be a one-time thing right could just be a one-hit wonder could be a milli vanilli thing and then it's gone and we never see it again uh but who knows maybe it's maybe there's something more to that and credit to him too i mean he obviously had been working on it lastly uh the a to a team defense oh, man the the defense that they played in this game was incredible uh, and again, it was right from the start. Uh, you look at the Ken Palm line. Ken Palm has like a line where they basically show you like the game flow, if you will. And it's a red line all on Marquette. There is no moment for Notre Dame. Marquette had a 21-2 run, a 12-2 run, a 16-3 run. And that was all predicated by the defense. They were absolutely sweltering. Notre Dame. Notre Dame had, as I said earlier, four shot clock violations. It was as good as I've seen the Marquette defense in a, probably since that Baylor game. That Baylor game, though, was more offense than it was the defense. But, like, that, well, the, like, I'm trying to think of, like, the best defensive efforts from Marquette. I mean, that was a little bit of their bugaboo last year. But now their defensive efficiency right now is 92.3 over 100 10th in Ken Palm so far they're 10th offensively they are just sweltering teams they're also the average possession length and so kind of to that shot clock violation it's 358 so they make team they every team has to get a good shot against Marquette you do not necessarily get easy buckets they wear teams down defensively and then push the hell out of the ball the discrepancy is wild they're ninth you know in terms of their pace you know, offensively, and then they're 38th in terms of their possession length, which is crazy uh, defensively. So yeah, it, it was an awesome defense. Like I said, the Shrewsbury comment about fighting bears was great. I mean, Marquette is building like a, a forest. They have bears, they have skunks, uh, now they, and eagles, obviously. So they just got to keep adding animals. We'll see what more animals we can add as the season progresses. Uh, B to Chase Ross. Chase Ross had to start, I thought, he handled it well. Like, I think he, he did enough. Like, it wasn't necessarily, like, the best performance from Chase, right? He had, like, 12, and I think he had eight rebounds or six rebounds, something like that. So, oh, eight, yeah, eight rebounds. I had it. Uh, I don't know, like, he also made two threes, um, which was nice, and it, it was just good to see Ross comfortable in the moment. He, he didn't really have any sort of qualms about starting. So I think that's really important, you know, when you do have an injury and you do have a guy who can't play, that Ross is kind of there as a true six man. And I think that's a definition of a six man that he can play in those sort of spot starts appearances. So yeah, great stuff from Chase Ross. Another B to Sean Jones. Uh, Sean Jones, I, I thought had a solid game, but really the B for Sean Jones is the step back three at the end of the end of the half. Really a moment where Sean Jones should have probably passed the basketball and he did it, he held it, he had a step back, he hits it at the buzzer and Marquette was up 30 or 28 at the, at the end of the first half. And it was just like, wow. Like to end it that way with Sean Jones, who's not a three point shooter, to hit that shot was awesome. Uh, and he had, a, he had a nice day off the bench, uh, 124 uh, offensive rating over 100, one of the better ones out of the group. He also had three assists, uh, so st solid stuff uh, from Sean Jones. A little, little too aggressive defensively, picked up a couple fouls, but I mean, you really can't even complain about <laughs> officiating in, the, in these type of games. 
Uh, C. DeMarc has Young Guns, Trey Norman, and Zayd Lowry. Like, they didn't do anything that special. Lowry didn't score. Uh, Norman had a, had a point. Uh, he also grabbed four rebounds. But I think just the fact that they're able to get out there for 14 to 15 minutes is, is really nice. I think that's important as the year goes on. You know, we kind of talked about that a little bit. I forget, it was, I think it was the Southern game where we just sort of said like, hey, you never know when you might need these guys, right? Whether there's injuries, whether it's like Chaka just wants to try something new. So for them to get that experience to play against a high major team, I know this isn't a great high major team, but still there's a difference between playing this team versus Tom, uh, Southern or St. Thomas or another another team like that. It's it, That's good experience, you know, that could pay off. And it it's clear that Marquette adjusted from playing David Joplin 34 minutes. And they, they've realized that David Joplin's more effective as a 20 minute a game kind of guy. And that's why you're seeing more Lowry uh, and sort of you're seeing Joplin's minutes go down. He only scored eight. I don't have a grade for him, but like, I, I think that it's all part of the plan. And there, and I, I think Zay Lowry will get more comfortable as he gets more minutes. And the same, same goes for Norman. Norman's got a few more minutes under his belt overall this year, but I think both of them will feel a lot better you know, in terms of their their role and how they stand on this team, you know, as the year goes on. Uh, D to Stevie Mitchell's injury. Uh, also, shout out my guy Steve, who tweeted me that uh, Steve, Stevie shouldn't have got a D last week. And I, I moved it to a C, and he called out that he was on Abris for most of the game uh, in the second half, and I missed that. As I, I, And I kind of acknowledged that, and I, I wish I would have kind of looked back or did a little more kind of Twitter sleuthing on that. Because, uh, yeah, he was right. Stevie deserved to be. Um, so we, we've adjusted those grades. But his D is for the injury. Uh, I don't know when the hamstring injury happened for Stevie. Hope he's all right. Um, I think I would almost rest him against St. Thomas, too. And just make sure that he is completely ready to go for the Big E season. Because uh, that becomes a gauntlet, right? Like, you you are in it after that game against St. Thomas. You have two Big East games against Providence and Georgetown the following week. And then you, you have the big matchup with Creighton. You do get a little bit of a buffer with Christmas, but yeah, you're kind of in into the mix uh, when you face Providence and Georgetown, you know, the following the following week. So I, I would give Stevie another another game off. And I, I don't think it's anything serious. Um, and let's hope it's not anything serious. Uh, an F to the Marquette minus 25 backers. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. Uh, I'm sure there were a lot of people who wagered on Marquette, who was a 21 and a half point favorite. I think at some points they were 20, 20 and a half, but all those were losers. Uh, Marquette, it looked like that was a locked in bet. Looked like you could count your winnings. And then uh, Notre Dame, you know, it, it's how it goes with these big spreads that at some point, you know, they're, they're going to score buckets. And it was all the, you know, the walk-ons in the game. Notre Dame was still trying to score and they end up covering. Uh, they, it stayed under. Uh, so if you had that, at least you, at least you were there. Uh, but if you had either the over or the 25 and a half, it wasn't good. I, I feel bad for the 25 and a half because I think you would have felt, you would have felt like, how am I losing this at halftime? And sure enough, you did. That's sometimes, and it can just it can just you know come back and bite you. I, let's see what was the final final ten minutes because that's that's where it all breaks down. That's where it all it gets rough. Yeah, Notre Dame. Oh, actually, it was the first ten. Notre Dame actually outplayed out scored Marquette nineteen to eleven in that first first ten minutes, and that was pretty even the rest of the way. So 
again, it's kind of to be expected. Like at some point, Notre Dame's going to make baskets. But when they started to make baskets, it was a little too late. Uh, Marquette had already had pretty significant lead. Uh, last half is just offensive turnovers. I had 14. Uh, and it wasn't just like all the bench guys in relief. You know, Norman and Al Amadou had them. But I mean, it was just across the board. Also had three. Uh, Kolick and Jones had two. Uh, so it, it was just one of those things where... I think they just need to be better um, and they can't be turning the ball over that much. Um, again, didn't hurt you, didn't have any significant impact on the game either way. Just when you see the 14 number, it's a little bit, it's a lot, right? It's not one of those numbers that is that should necessarily make you feel good. They're typically good in terms of keeping the ball. They're 14.3 they're 14 is their turnover percentage, which is 30th in the country. So they are not necessarily like in a position where they're turning the ball over all the time. Could have just been one bad game uh, from a turnover perspective. But the hope is that it is just one bad game and this is not a, a trend to come. So yeah, as I mentioned, they have St. Thomas on Thursday, they'll be heavily favored, and that will close out their non-con before they go Big East play the following week, which I cannot wait for. All right, moving on to the Green Bay Packers. Uh, the Green Bay Packers are playing the New York Giants tonight. Um, got a lot of football stuff to talk about. Uh, first of all, be Jair Alexander and the curious case of Jair. He is out again for his fifth straight game. Uh, he is not going to be be out there. He has a shoulder injury. Uh, he said to the media with championship belts and, sun, and a sunglasses on, on on Friday that he would not be out there unless he was fully healthy and fully ready to go. It's very interesting that this keeps happening with Jair Alexander, right? Because we're now in game five, which means that Jair could have easily went on the IR and the Packers could have signed somebody they could have signed you know more corner support they did add david long uh from carolina this week so that does help but they could have added jair to the ir and he'd been out for four weeks so it's really weird that i don't know who to blame there i don't know if i'm blaming the packers training staff i don't know if i'm blaming jair alexander but it, it seems to me that the back injury really sort of fucked with his head because you know he played against the Raiders and he said his back really wasn't right and I think he played because he wanted to play against Devontae Adams and he was motivated to play in that game and then when that happened and his back hurt he's like well I'm not going to go out there unless I'm 100% I'm not going to kind of gut it out and I think we always want our athletes to gut it out right that that's part of being a sports fan you expect that these guys who are absolute warriors are gonna play through everything. And Jair is just not convinced that he can play through the pain right now. And that's really frustrating, especially when you're a team that's kind of firing all, on all cylinders. You have Aaron Jones potentially ready to get out there again on, on Monday night. Like that, that there, there's something to, you know, guys who it feels like they give a shit more. And so unfairly or unfairly, Jair is getting painted as a me first player. And Gary Ellerson, who's on ESPN Milwaukee, which picked up a bunch of heat, which Gary Ellerson, you know, says a lot of things. So it's not surprising that this made waves, called him out for not really being a Packer and, and wanted guys who wanted to be here. He called it the Bakhtiari effect. David Bakhtiari asked him what he meant about that yesterday. Ellerson kind of backtracked a little bit and was like, 
I'm just talking about player health and I'm advocating for you and what we fought for and yada, yada, yada. It was a lot of bullshit uh, from Gary, honestly. And I, I think that, let's look at both sides of this. Like before we before I give where I stand, uh, I think to Ellerson's point about not wanting to be here is yes, that, that's the vibe it gives off. If you didn't go on the IR, then it clearly means that like there's something preventing you from playing. And this is some of the complaints that we heard about Deshaun Watson, about some of his injuries before he had the serious one, that he only kind of wants to play when he wants to play. It's not necessarily on the team's terms, it's on the player's terms. And Alexander sort of seems that way right now. And it doesn't seem like Alexander is about the team. He's about Jair Alexander. And I think that was part of Ellerson's point. But if a player is, is really hurt and, and it's just like he can't get over that mental hurdle until he feels fully healthy, like I, I get it. Like I think we've all had injuries in our life where we have we know it's there, it's kind of hurting, but if we give it a go and then we hurt it again, like, well, well, why the fuck did I do that? And so I think that's Alexander's concern, but I, I think it's a really tough pill to swallow when it's been poorly communicated by the team, by Jair, uh, by just everybody. And then on top of that, he could have given up his roster spot and went on IR and didn't. And I, I think that's the other part. Like when you have an injury and you don't go on the short-term IR, which is four games, it's assumed that you're gonna be back anytime soon. It's kind of like baseball where you're day-to-day versus going on the 10-day IL. Like there, there's a, there's a fucking difference. And so I, I think that how I kind of land on this with Jair Alexander is I, I just think he needed to be more transparent and probably needs to be more transparent still about his injury. And I know he meets with the media. I know he likes to talk to the media, but you can't just kind of dance around it. And I guess we'll see kind of what the real story is this offseason. If the Packers trade Jair Alexander, then we'll know that there, there were some significant issues here. And that Green Bay, you know, doesn't really, you know, have the time to deal with it. And that he kind of became a diva and they're moving on and they're going to kind of reset the deck at the corner position. I don't know if I would recommend that. Jair's one of the best football players, you know, that the Packers have. But if the situation is untenable, then that's just what it is. And that that goes back to Ellerson's point of wanting guys that that want to be here. So uh, it'll be very interesting to kind of see where this all nets out uh, between Jair, the team, the fan base's feelings towards him. Uh, like if Jair comes back for Tampa and balls out for the last four games of the season, I think all is forgiven. Like that, that's just kind of how it goes as as fans fans work. But he's definitely he's definitely the pariah so far right now with the team. I, I feel like Watson is kind of out of that pariah role, and it has now become sort of the Jair Alexander spot. So. We'll see if you get Jair back against Tampa Bay or you get him back against Carolina or Minnesota. I do think one of the kind of advantages I guess the Packers have is no real quarterback down the stretch scares you. I know Baker Mayfield's been competent. Uh, He had a good game against Atlanta uh, on Sunday, but still like he's not a guy that you're like, oh my God, you need a full deck. And you did, you beat Mahomes, you beat Herbert, you beat... Jared Goff, all without Jair Alexander. So if you're able to beat those guys without Jair Alexander, how good, you know, A, you're going to be better, but like y- you can do it pretty much against anybody is I-, I think the point 
point that I'm trying to make. Like it, it's like there, it it's there, you know, against anybody. Like it's it's on the table against any, you know, quarterback that's out there. Uh, and and it has to. And I also wonder too, does it hurt Jair, Jair Alexander's ego a little bit that the Packers aren't necessarily missing him? I have to think it does. He seems like an ego-driven guy. have to think that that bothers him a little bit, that the Packers are fine without him. Uh, it would bother me. I know, I know I, at least for me, and I don't have as much of an ego as Jair does. Uh, all right, let's move to the best bets for the Packer-Giants game. Uh, we've done a few different things with this this segment. Uh, we've you know had the betting preview. We had the should I bet, all the things. But... We have the Packers as a six-point road favorite with the over-under at 37. I think anyone would tell you that this line is scary. Packers as a road dog, road favorite, they haven't been that all season. Uh, I, I think the Atlanta, they weren't. They might have been, no. I think that at that point, they had became dogs against Atlanta on the road. Well, they were road favorites against Chicago, but they were only like a one-point favorite in that game. The Giants have looked better of late. The, yes, it's the Commanders and the Patriots, but there's reason to think that the Packers might come out sleepy. You have the Saquon Barkley angle uh, and the fact that the Packers' run defense still stinks and that maybe the Giants really keep this thing close. We've also had some really weird Monday night results the last few weeks. You had the Bengals going into Jacksonville with Jake Browning and winning as 10-point dogs. You had the Minnesota, the Chicago Bears winning in Minnesota as I think they were four-and-a-half-point underdogs or four-point underdogs, they went in there and won outright. So there have been some weird Monday night results recently. And I, I know that that's, that might not be correlated, right? But I, I do wonder, like, is that part of the, like, intimidation factor? Uh, the Giants necessarily haven't made MetLife a fortress. They've actually really struggled in the primetime spots this year overall, but also at home. Uh, so that that would be reasons to maybe you know put something down on the six, but I I just think it it screams sort of stay away from me. Uh, the Giants are have been an under team this year. They're actually the best team to the under for the season, but it might be worth looking at you know a team total over for the Green Bay Packers of twenty and a half. The Green Bay Packers have figured it out offensively. They've went over that team total number the last four games. And if you count the Rams game, they were at 20 for that game. So Green Bay has more than enough, or no, I asked the, 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 the Steelers, it was 19, but still they've kind of averaged right around that 20 and a half number. And so even if you're worried about the Packers, sort of the scoring or in terms of the Giants just keeping it close, like that has nothing to do with it. You just need the Packers to score three touchdowns. And I, I think they can definitely do that. I think the Giants defense is a little bit better than what they were earlier this season. But Jordan Love has really handled the blitz the last few the last few weeks. Um, and he's just had a lot of experience facing these blitz-heavy teams, whether it's Spagnola, Brian Flores, who he struggled with, yes, but now he gets Wink Martindale and he's just been seeing it, you know, time and again. And I, I think that's really helpful for a young quarterback because it's like, you, you're like, you know what to expect. You know what you're going into. And there's tape on what he did last year, right? I know that there are different players out there, but still you could kind of see what he did with the guys on the, on the field. And I, I think that's, that's really important for 
for you know Green Bay and for how Jordan Love you know handles this this defense, and that's why I think the Packers can you know at least get 21 points. Uh, and, and again, it feels low for what they've been doing offensively, but I think some of that's baked into them not expecting the Giants to store to score very much in this one. Um, I think from an official how I would how I would look at it, how I would play it is we we got burned in Vegas with the same game tees, but I, I think the same game tees makes sense in this game. Taking the Packers down to a basically a pick 'em and then bringing the over down to 31. So you just have to get 31 total points between these two teams. I think that is a go. Like I, I would not bring the under up, which would be 43. I just, I, I'm not like, the Giants have given up a lot of points to really good teams. I don't know if the Packers are really good yet, but we've seen the Giants get absolutely blown out. And so you're kind that's kind of blowout insurance in case that the, the, the line is right and that the six makes sense. I think that that is sort of blowout insurance uh, for that. Uh, if you need touchdown scorers, first touchdown scorers, kind of guys that I'm looking at, I think Jaden Reed, you know, is a guy that is a really good red zone target. He wasn't one last week, but he's been one in the past. I think Tucker Craft continues to kind of emerge as a player. And so I think Tucker Craft's another one that would be a, a very a good spot for him. And then if you want to get frisky, maybe Kenyon Drake. I think Kenyon Drake will suit up uh, on Monday. And I wouldn't be surprised if Green Bay uses him around the red zone. Uh, he is a great pass catching running back, has a ton of speed still. Uh, so we'll, we'll, he would be a guy that I, I might you know, put a sprinkle on because uh, he's probably going to be, I mean, the number, maybe not a first touchdown, but the, the number for Drake to just score was pro- it will probably be like plus 900, plus, plus you know, 10 to 1, something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I would definitely look at those. Uh, for the opportunities, but best of luck. You also, you also could definitely um, the other thing that I, I didn't think about, but you, you could do something along the lines of putting the Packers just to win, the Dolphins just to win, who have the Titans also on Monday night, and then find a basketball game that you like. Uh, you could do the Bucks, honestly. Uh, if you felt confident about the Bucks, I think that would pay out at plus money. It would, have, it would definitely be like even uh, for sure, but. I, I, that would be another recommendation of something you could leverage. And again, you kind of take out sort of the six points if that scares you, like it does for me. And maybe I'm being a big baby about it. I don't know. I, there's something about playing the Giants, man. They've they've gotten the Packers before. MetLife on primetime, I, I can never forget the one. And I grant this Giants team is not that good, but it, they were, it was, was that, was it 20, was it 2019? Where the Packers got absolutely wiped on prime time against the Giants, uh, it, I think it was earlier than that. I think it was it was pre Lafleur. Uh, it might have been like 2016, but they got absolutely smoked by the the Giants uh, on a prime time game. And I don't know something about MetLife just sticks in my head. Packers have won there, like they won they won there in 2019. They won there in. Um, what was it? What was the other one they? Oh, that the famous Rogers thirty-eight to thirty-five game. I think that was in two thousand eleven. Before then, they lost them in the playoffs. But they that that game was incredible. Rogers getting down the field in three plays and then setting up Mason Crosby for the game-winning field goal was absolutely special. Yeah. So Packers won thirty-one to nineteen in two thousand nineteen in New York. Two thousand seventeen, the Packers won in Lambeau. Two thousand sixteen, they also won in Lambeau. 
Oh, yeah. So 27 to 13 in in 2013 was that the game no 38 to 10 so it was 2012 that was when the primetime won and they got absolutely demolished and that was after the the year prior where they lost in the divisional round so yeah i mean and so packers have i guess had some decent amount of success you know since that game so they've what their three for their last five against the giants if you will um and in the lafleur era he's played them twice and won one uh, they should never have lost that London game, though. That London game was a bad one. Uh, that was for the first time where we we're like, oh, maybe the Packers aren't that good last year. So there'll be some guys, you know, with revenge on their mind. Before we get on to the Bucks, let's kind of talk about the playoff hunt, the biggest things from Sunday that, you know, help or hurt the Packers. Uh, number one is the NFC North is in the, in the picture if the Packers win tonight. Uh, the Lions lose to the Chicago Bears. Uh, they weren't really in that game at all. Uh, the Bears really had a dominant win, and and the Bears have kind of come on strong. They're five and eight now. They're they have an outside shot of potentially being in the playoffs if they win out. Uh, but the Lions are now nine and four. So if the Packers were to win, they are two games back in Detroit. And we sort of talked about the playoffs, and we said you know the Chicago game is going to be a huge one. If the Packers do, in fact, want to want to be in that North conversation. Now, again, Green Bay has to win because if Green Bay doesn't win tonight, then this whole conversation becomes null and void. But the Lions have looked really fucking shaky. I mean, they did beat the Saints, but really that was just them getting out to a big lead. And I don't know how good New Orleans is. And now you had home to play Denver, who's suddenly a game back from the Kansas City Chiefs, which is absolutely wild to think about. So Denver has so much to play for. Then you go to Minnesota, then you go to Dallas, then you're home to play the Vikings. Like, that is not an easy schedule at all. Um, and, and that Broncos game is going to be so critical. That is like, it feels like a very much a must-win spot for the Detroit Lions. But when's the last time the Lions look good? Is it is it really that Raiders game? That Raiders game is the only one. Like, the Chargers game, yeah, they scored 41 points, but... The bigger problem was they gave up 38 and they they really they had a scrap and claw to beat the Bears. They got beat from the Packers from the jump. They got out early against the Saints, but then they gave up 28 points and the Saints were kind of right back in that football game at the end. And then you lose the Bears and you look pretty lifeless on the rope and and you struggle really that entire game. So I it's leaning towards like December collapse for Detroit, which we've seen so many times. And we're teetering on it. And, you know, I don't think Denver would, or I'm sorry, Detroit would lose out, but it's it's a possibility. I also don't know, would they lose to that Minnesota team? That that could be also the thing that helps them through. Uh, we're going to talk about Minnesota here in a second. Uh, the Buccaneers could have been dead, but they pulled it out of Atlanta, uh, which is annoying because the Packers are the Buccaneers next week uh, in Lambeau. It could have easily been, you know, the, the Packers sort of, just playing for everything in the Buccaneers at that point, playing for draft picks because they would have had eight losses at that point. I guess they would have st- still been in the NFC North, NFC South hunt, and they were they'd kind of be in a must-win situation. But both those teams will be going after going after a a victory. Like they're they're both going to be very hungry for it. If you remember the last time Baker Mayfield was at Lambeau Field, he threw he had four turnovers. He did he play against the Packers when he was with the Rams too? Was that a, did Mayfield play in that game? I can't 
I can't really remember, but he's he's had a you know kind of a a decent year. Uh, he 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 had the game winning touchdown pass uh, against the Falcons. He had 144 yards with two touchdowns. Like he was just kind of doing doing the little things, if you will. I, mean, I can't remember if he played in that Rams game, but I, I don't think that Rams game went well either. If I recall, let's see. Oh yeah, he did play the Packers in that Monday night game. He was rough in that game. 12 of 21, 111 yards, and one touchdown and one interception right around this time. And then the the year prior was a Christmas game where he was he had two 222 yards, two touchdowns, was sacked five times, but had four interceptions in that game. So Mayfield in December for the third straight year in Lambeau, uh, he it'll be a little different. Uh, and they have a lot more to play for in Tampa Bay. But it's it's unfortunately not going to be cold. Uh, it's it's right now it's looking like forty four, uh, which we, we need it cold when Tampa's coming to town. None of this forty four shit. Um, but yeah, Buccaneers could have been dead. They're not. Minnesota Vikings got so fucking lucky, but they're on borrowed time. Uh, they won three nothing today. Uh, even Iowa would blush at that. And Josh Jobs got benched. Uh, the Dobbs sanity is over. Um, and Nick Mullins came in. I would assume Nick Mullins will start next week, but man, the Vikings, they, I mean, you could say, well, the defense was great. You know, they, you had a shutout and you shut out the, the Raiders. That's great. But you know, how much are you getting out of this offense going forward? And I, I think that is, that's the big question. Um, and Minnesota now, you know, will have, you know, the, I'm sure they had home. They've only played six home games. This, oh no, they had, that's right. They go to Cincinnati. So they go to Cincinnati. Now, Jake Browning got hurt. I don't know. If you have A.J. McCarron, that would be such a break for the Vikings. It would be such Vikings shit. But that would be their last home game or their last road game before their final one against Detroit. And But, yeah, they seem on borrowed time. They have scored a combined 13 points in the last two weeks. Um, now, they've again, they've only given up 12, so I don't know. But it, it does seem like the, the end is near uh, for the Minnesota Vikings. But we'll, we'll have to monitor. We'll have to see. But, yeah, if they get A.J. McCarron, that would be another huge fucking break for this Vikings team. And, and that's kind of this Vikings shit. That's, we see that all the time. And then lastly, uh, the Rams tiebreaker is going to be huge. God, if I'm the Rams, I have to be so pissed off that Brett Rippon is my, was my backup for a couple weeks because that might be the reason why the Rams don't get in the playoffs is Brett Rippon. And that's a tough pill to swallow if you're a Rams fan. You know, they, they lose on a punt return walk-off today. And, you know, it, it was a great game. And, and they really played fucking hard. And they, they could have easily won that football game. Uh, but I, I feel like there's no shame in losing to the Ravens on the road, especially. But now they are 6-7. and seven And they get the Saints there. They get the Commanders uh, at home this week. And then they get the Saints at home before heading out to the Giants on New Year's Eve. That's very cold. And then against the 49ers, which is probably not a meaningless game uh, for the 49ers as they will be potentially going for that number one seed. Uh, so, But maybe not. Who knows? If they get separation from the Eagles, then they are able to sort of, you know, put it on easy and that could help the Rams. But now the Rams are kind of in can't lose another one territory you know seven seven losses maybe eight gets you in but I, I feel like you can't can't take any of that for for granted so we'll, we'll have to see there uh and yeah that's it from the playoff hunt and you know the the Cowboys winning actually kind of hurts Packers there was an outside shot had the Packers 
All right, the Cowboys won. The Packers could have potentially even moved up to five, uh, but that's looking highly unlikely. Uh, so yes, uh, the Cowboys winning doesn't necessarily help the Packers, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the best day for the playoff hunt. Um, could have went a little bit better, you know, had things turned a little differently with the Vikings and the Buccaneers. All right, let's wrap up today's show with some Milwaukee Bucks talk. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. Have a big week ahead of them, which we're going to talk about. But before we do, I wanted to discuss the comments made by Bobby Portis to the media after practice on Sunday. I uh, addressed sort of Chris Haynes' report, and it was, it was pretty interesting uh, from Bobby Portis, if I don't say so myself. Um, I, I felt like there was a lot there. Uh, here's what Bobby Portis said uh, to Eric Name. Don't want to speak too much about what's happening in our locker room. Uh, what happens in our locker room is sacred in between us. That's how it's always been. Don't know how it got reported. Uh, once thought in the second on that comment. But at the same time, I'm just a competitor. I love to compete. I think I'm a leader. I lead by example. I lead and I, or I lead by my voice I, and lead by example. Just some things I've grown over my career and know with my time here. Been here hundred thousand plus days now, so the guys know me. They know the, the guys know who I am. They know I wear my heart on my sleeve. I compete at a high level on a day-to-day -day basis, whether shots are going in or not, whether I'm playing well or not. I'm here for the betterment of my team. So just being a leader, being a voice, and whoever else's opinions, outside opinions, outside of teams, that's just their opinions about me or our team. I'm here for all the right reasons. Oh, I didn't know he's a bachelor contestant. Uh, anyways, uh, uh, the the thought uh, for that, I, I really think it's a subtweet at Dame. I, we all know that Dame's Chris, Hay Chris Haynes' boy. And that even though Giannis and Dame have a pretty good, or I'm sorry, Dame, Giannis and Chris Haynes have a good relationship, uh, I don't think Giannis was, would be a one to leak anything. Uh, so this obviously came from Dame. Uh, and I, I think that's a subtle reminder. Like, hey, I've been here for a while. This isn't Portland. Like, you can't just leak shit to your guy. Like, we need to keep that stuff in-house. It'll be okay. I can understand you're frustrated. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be fine. We're going to work it out. This is not helping us. And I thought Griffin's comments were good too. You know, he's kind of like, I love these guys. I love to compete. They hate losing. You know, we have a bunch of high character guys. And he said we, they had a great, great practice. Probably one of the best practices we've had. I love the vibe in the gym, great energy. And then we just get ready for Chicago. Um, I, so I hope that, you know, it all pays off. I hope that, you know, we have a good week because it, it, this is a week for the, pack, the Bucks, excuse me, to get some revenge. Uh, they play Chicago on Monday and they looked lifeless against the Bulls uh, last, you know, last, last couple weeks ago. The Bulls have looked better without Zach Levine, which is a major red flag uh, to Zach Levine and his trade value. Uh, that the Bulls have actually played better without him being there. Uh, says To me, says a lot about Zach Levine and who he is right now as a basketball player. So th this is a little bit of a different Bulls team than what the Bucks saw the first time around. It's now be the third meeting uh, with Chicago here in basically the first six, seven weeks of the season. Same goes for Indiana. Um, and you get Indiana now at home, uh, you have a chance to avenge the in-season tournament loss. Uh, I, I think you're not going to you know, disrespect Indiana. Um, Halbert, you know, back in Wisconsin, he did not play in either of the games last year. So I'm sure that'll be kind of momentous for him. To me, I feel like I don't think they'll flex, they don't flex the games within the week, but I, I wouldn't have hated the idea of putting that on ESPN again and kind of running it back because I, I do think Indiana is going to get more attention 
as the season progresses. What is ESPN? ESPN doesn't even have a game. It looks like on on Wednesday. So yeah, just an NBA TV Lakers Spurs uh, with you know first LeBron Wembenyama uh, meeting of the year uh, in San Antonio. Uh, so it's an off week for ESPN. I don't know why. That, that, I'm sure there is a reason, but we'll we, we'll have to find out. I, the Reggie White thirty for thirty, I think, is that Wednesday. But that's this week, which is definitely worth watching uh, as an aside. But yeah, Pacers Bucks get some revenge. I think it'd be really good for the fan base if the Bucks could win that game. I feel like that's the besides Detroit, which is the one you just have to win because Detroit's terrible. Uh, you got to beat you got to beat the Pacers, um, and I, I think it sends a clear message that hey, you're still top dogs in the Central. Uh, and that would be a great thing uh, for the Bucks, uh, but yeah, you have as I mentioned, you have Detroit on Saturday. Um, Detroit is absolutely floundering. Uh, they continue to lose games. They have not won a basketball game, I think, in over a month. I kind of would prefer Detroit to win a game uh, before they play the Bucks. They lost, got absolutely blown out to the Magic. They've lost 19 straight times. They their schedule here this week, so to, to avoid Detroit coming in with nine. 20 straight losses. They play Indiana and then they play a back-to-back against Philadelphia before playing the Bucs. So this, they will be coming in on a four and five day sort of thing or four and six days sort of thing. But I, uh, man, we gotta, we gotta get Detroit to win. I actually, it'd be hilarious they beat Indiana. I could totally see that happening uh, with Indiana going from the in-season tournament to playing sleepy Detroit in Detroit on Monday, Monday evening. Uh, that, that, that's gonna happen. I will, I will put it down. That that's uh, that's one to watch for uh, this evening. But anyways, yes. Yeah, so they get Detroit, and then they have a back-to-back against Houston on Saturday, Sunday. That can't be fun playing on a Udoka squad on a back-to-back. Uh, and you know we will get that first look at that very talented Houston team, and they've had a really good year. Uh, they picked up a road win against Denver on Friday. Um, and that's been the one thing that's missing from this Rockets team is winning on the road. Uh, they've not been the same team away uh, from Houston, uh, but it does feel like a tough spot for the Bucks with you know going in the back-to-back and of the weekends. They haven't necessarily played well on Sundays this year so far. I, it is nice that it's at six o'clock, so it's at a normal sort of game time. Uh, also works out for just the casuals out here that we can watch the Bucks, uh, you know, as football's going on or as football's wrapping up for the, the day. Uh, that's also advantageous, so good stuff there. But yeah, should be an interesting week for Milwaukee and we'll see we'll see how they do. I think it definitely should be a three and one week at worst and probably a four in a week, but you know, you never wanna like, there's always room that maybe one won't go your way. So we will talk about it all this week on the podcast uh, and look forward to it. Look forward to recapping with you on Packers Giants as well as Bucks Bulls uh, tonight. And we will uh, we'll see you guys tomorrow. Uh, so take care, have a good one. And yeah, let's, uh, let's have a week. All right, take care, Russ. bye.